0: Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 68, a reminder. You know the drill to download, share with a friend, rate, review, leave a comment. We appreciate that. Helping this podcast grow. Thank you for all the wonderful comments on Twitter and social media. It is, uh, it's great. I really enjoy it. And I look forward to this every week. My Sundays entail, I'm recording this around midnight Pacific time entail watching a lot of highlights, recapping games, reading, reading, reading. It's a lot. And the payoff is to be able to share some of the information that I've learned, which I find is interesting, and I I feel I present it in a certain way, which is entertaining, that uh, I can pass it on to you. So it's it's a good system. It's working. This week, we'll be joined in the business end by NBC Sports, Philadelphia Union analyst, as well as former Premier League hard man, I'll get into that. We don't use that expression, but when I watched Danny Higginbotham play, when uh, when he was when I first started covering the league, he he grabbed my attention. All these Premier League guys, I know we mentioned it with Warren Barton, and I'm going to have Robbie Musto. You know, there's so many mild mannered, but when they were players, man, they were <laughs> they're different. But he's a wonderful man. He's an incredible and articulate person to talk about this sport from the U.S. perspective and the English perspective. So he will be in the business end. And coming up on Stoppage Time, we will address some of the topics right now surrounding American soccer. A little bit about the June camps. We'll talk more about that here in the weeks ahead. We will also discuss Jesse Marsh. Will he be able to save leeds united we also have a video up on the soccer og on my youtube max bretos where we will talk even further about that subject i think it's okay but we'll talk about it. i think he's going to be all right we'll talk about that in a little bit let's get started the soccer og starts right now Here we are. We are winding down the European leagues. Two, three rounds remaining. Many teams have clinched Bayern, Real Madrid. Uh, Milan are getting close to it. Uh, they have a couple-point lead. Inter still in pursuit. It's uh, it's important that we see uh, some good developments in the Serie A. And Milan winning after not winning it one in 11, 12 years is a big development. Italy's not going to the World Cup. Italian teams aren't making deep runs into the Champions League. It's a big problem. So Milan, if they can win the Scudetto and they can build a little bit more, they got some great young players. Uh, you know, Tonali scoring and Rafael Leal, and this is a good nucleus, but it has to be able to lift this to the next stage. Uh, Juventus are a mess. That game, this was a Friday game. It is, that is a, it is, we saw so many teams just kind of quit. And I don't, I'm not saying they quit, but just stopped, stopped performing. And uh, Juventus is one of them. So Milan winning that, I, I want to see more you know, diversity in the Champions League. We almost had another All-England Final, if not for a Manchester City meltdown. We La Liga and, and the Premier League, uh, they should have their own competition at this pace if we don't get more of a contribution from the Bundesliga and the Serie A in particular. The Liga, and they had those nice moments. I know they're going to bounce back, but this is... This feels like it could have been three or four Premier League teams down at the end. They all had something happen to them that uh, kind of went against the grain. So I want to see this Serie A do well. So good for Milan. Inter is going to be a Champions League. I think Juventus can fix things and they could remain a Champions League team, but they have some work to do here. And you know, as this European League stops, we're going to be so overserved with this sport because we're going to kick in in June and July, and we'll finish qualifying teams for the world cup we're going to have a a big june international date and we'll talk more about that with what the u.s in particular are going to do it's going to be very interesting and by the way watch more major league soccer watch more major league soccer if you need a fix it's been really good um if you're a fan of u.s men's national team i know there's this this minor faction out there that doesn't want any mls players on the national team and that is just absurd we have so many that uh are going to feature not because they're in MLS because they're good enough. And look, we are far from perfect as a national team. We have injuries, we have guys not playing. Ricardo Pepe got a few minutes for for Augsburg, but uh, you know, he's like one of many, you know, watching the Venezia game and uh so many guys that uh um are not going to feature. Uh jump with his name Gianluca Busio, uh, he's just ruined his chance of playing in the World Cup because he's not playing. You don't see him. So the U.S. have to be crafty here, and you got to lean into some of these MLS players. Jesus Ferreira—he's the best striker option we have. He's scoring really good goals. Jeremy Abobase, really uh, the the big statues forward like we had with Pepe or Daryl D.K. Daryl D.K. I don't know if we're going to see him anytime soon. He's on the long list of injuries, but Abobase could be the guy who could do that you got to be resourceful here. And Major League Soccer is where you can find these guys in many ways. It was awful. Uh, the latest injury, Miles Robinson with an Achilles injury. And it was so awful to watch that. He's banging the turf. And we got to do something about this turf. You know, just recently, Brad Guzan, Miles Robinson, Xiao Paulo on the turf in Seattle. Whether you create another artificial surface or you get it on grass. Because this is way too many. And, it's, and I'm, I'm fearing there's gonna be another one. And I just hold your breath. But the Miles Robinson one, he's banging the surface and you could see on his face, he's not worried about the pain he's going through. He's not worried about uh, being immobile. He's not thinking about anything other. You could see it etched on his face. I am missing the World Cup. I'm missing the World Cup. And it breaks your heart. And it's not an isolated incident. This happens a lot with players, but to see that is was very, very difficult and you don't know if you get another shot at it. I hope Miles Robinson plays in two, three more World Cups, but you just don't know. This U.S. team could look very different in the years ahead, so it's not fair. It really isn't. Barcelona. I want to talk about Barcelona quickly because they did two really important things. They had their biggest test in the final stretch here to make sure that they would finish in all likelihood in second place. They beat Betis at their place. Betis is very good. Uh, cup winner, uh sp- Spanish uh Copa del Rey winner. Uh Barcelona beating them two to one, coming from behind, Jordi Alba with an incredible strike. And I really think Barcelona, as I've said on the podcast, should have suffered a very heavy price for what they did financially. And they're not going to. And Real Madrid for some of the issues they had, they're not really going to suffer either. <laughs> they could win two major trophies. That's the that Champions League final is going to be unbelievable. That's going to be one of the biggest Champions League finals ever. And it, it doesn't seem like there's any chance it's going to be not entertaining. It may not be as entertaining as it could be, but it's not going to be Spurs, Liverpool, or where was it? Was it Juventus and Milan was the one Champions League game, this was many years ago, 15 years ago, that I actually fell asleep in. I couldn't believe it. I was a little tired to start off with, but that game did not help. And my eyes closed and I missed about 30 minutes. True story, but Barcelona did two really good things to prevent uh, a collapse. Obviously, they shed a lot of money, which they had to do. I'm not going to give them credit for that, but I'm going to give them credit for hiring Xavi, who they always wanted. I didn't show; I would have never guessed it would have gone this well, but it's it's exceeded every optimistic expectation. The other thing is part ways with Lionel Messi. It was very difficult, but I think the Barcelona fans realize it. This is not about Lionel Messi, but this is about rebooting your team letting the kids play Ansu Fati scored a goal all these guys getting in there uh, a lot of revival projects like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and the, uh, uh, Danny Alves but Leonel Messi had to go because now you can start that process and they've started that process Messi's here this process doesn't start because you have to kiss the ring It happens fast. We saw it with Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. The two best players in the world. They're not even in the top 10 or 20 or 30. They're not. I'll I'll leave it at top 20. They're not in that top list. It happens fast. A year ago, we could argue they were the two best players. They're not in the top 20 best players. It's uh, based on their season. We're not talking about careers here. We're based on their season. Uh, Lionel Messi was many times invisible for PSG and obviously not there at the business end. So, hats off to Barcelona for doing that. It was difficult, but it was the right move. Didn't want to talk about Manchester. Well, I don't want to talk about Manchester United. Obviously, the meltdown. They lost to Brighton for 0 They could have. Brighton could have had seven goals in that game. Absolute domination. Manchester United looked like they quit, and Manchester United, rightfully so, getting raked over the Colts. But I want to talk about Brighton. This is is unbelievable. They're gonna have their best finish to a league. The American Express Community Stadium is always packed to the rafters. They've managed to keep Graham Potter. He and this club have built something special. I want to touch on one of my... So I covered Libertadores and Sudamericana. I watch a ton of South American football. And I like it because I want to see the good talent coming from that. And they always make you pay off. Moises Caicedo was one of them. I saw him there in Ecuador. And you read all the hype and go, this guy's special. And he was getting compared to Paul Pogba and Angolo Kante. He goes to Brighton and he sits on the reserve team forever. And I'm losing my mind. Go, put him in there. Give him some minutes. I want to apologize to Brighton for all those tweets I sent yelling at you for how you handled Moises Caicedo. They were patient. He finally started about a month and a half ago. He started every game since. He scored a goal this weekend. And now you see the comparisons can't compare him to Paul Pogba and Colo Conte, but this investment was just beautifully played by Brighton. I thought Caicedo would be upset because he hasn't played, but he comes in, he plays, and it's fantastic. And he is part of this machine of Brighton, who have been unbeaten in seven games. They won four of those games. They won three games on the road. They beat one at Arsenal, one at Wolves, and then they thumped Manchester United flying up the standings. This is a team that's going to be in the Premier League for a while, just they do it the right way. It's kind of like a Leicester, you know, Leicester to a lesser degree. They're not going to win the Premier League title, but they're going to make money with these players and they're going to get new players because clearly their scouring department's fantastic. Marco Gurea, Spanish winger, scored a goal. My favorite moment of the weekend, he looks to the fans. It was his first goal. He starts crying and then he does the love signal, the love sign with his hands. And it was just this really wonderful, tender moment. And I was just blown away. And that's how they do it the right way. Kukureya loves being there. And he's a guy that a lot of teams could have signed. He was at uh, Getafe and he was available. And you could see how good he is. And they get all the right. They hit it on the nail with everyone. So I don't want to talk about Manchester United. Let's talk about Brighton and Hove Albion. Let's not forget about Hove down there in the south of England. One of the nice stories to talk about. We'll talk about uh, more Premier League here shortly in stoppage time. We'll talk about Leeds. We'll talk about some national team call-ups. And we'll talk a little bit about Seattle Sounders as well. How's that? Now we're going to take a quick pause. We'll be back with Danny Higginbotham of NBC Sports and the Philadelphia Union. Soccer OG. We'll be back. Make, Make sure you check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Barretos. Make sure you do that. Thank you. the soccer og time now for the business end and as always a thrill to bring in a wonderful guest a man who's working for NBC sports we had a nice chit chat this week ahead of lafc and the philadelphia union danny Higginbotham, who is now a a, a very proud is it a philadelphiaite do we yeah i think i don't know whether that's been made up but yeah (laughs) i'll
1: I'll go i'll go along with i'm trying to trying to embrace the american sports and i'm getting there slowly but surely i'm uh Falling in love with NFL more by, the, uh, more by the season, that's for sure, as I'm becoming – it's becoming easier for me to understand now, so I'm getting a grasp on
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> I always love those explanations, like when someone has to uh, – an, an American has to explain NFL football to an Englishman or an Englishman has to uh, explain cricket to someone on this <laughs> yeah. side. But it, I find it, when once you, when you, when you sit down, it becomes pretty simple. But you, you just have to watch. Have you yes. watched any baseball? Are you going to Phillies games?
1: I haven't been to a Phillies game yet but I am I'm definitely going to go to one. I I watch them it's just it's long isn't it and there can be so much of a break between <laughs> each play and and like throughout my life I've been I've been brought probably more on faster sports and I think that's why when I watch NFL okay there's the breaks but when the plays happen they're really quick but yeah I'm, I'm I definitely want to get into the to the baseball side of things as well but all the sports really I love the ice hockey as well because obviously that's a fast pace the 76 is at the moment, they're in the playoffs. So you know, listen l- to you. No, I'm trying to get introduced more to the sports. What's it they say? Sounds I'm like, in you're there. in. I'm trying. I'm trying. By the way,
0: baseball and 162 games a year. Yeah. So that's all. And think about working on that. So we, we called a game. We did a game this weekend. Now we get ready for yeah. another one. This is every day, three no, hours. Stop. Count me out. <laughs> unless it's unless it's bushels of money, which it may be. But otherwise, it'd have to be a lot for yeah. me to to do that much. Oh, yeah. It's extreme, definitely. <laughs> well, I want to tell everyone first, and I mentioned this because I had Warren Barton on here a few weeks ago. I get a little starstruck because when I first started covering the Premier League, this was 1998, mm-hmm. and it was a blank slate for me. I knew a little bit. And then in 98, 99, working at Fox, got familiar with who's who, the clubs, the rivalries, and... Danny was a guy who, like, I, I'm going to tell everyone here, I, I imagine you might agree with me. Danny's a guy, very mild-mannered, a, just a lovely man. But when you saw him play, and it was it was when you were at Derby, mm. I mean, it was it was a different person that I'm talking to right now. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that 100%. I, <laughs> very I intense. I'm, yeah. I, I think I'm a very relaxed person, very relaxed person, but – there be some games like after the game, you, you get that look from your mum as if to say, <laughs> well, what, "What are you doing?" But that's that's just the way it was. But I've met so many people like that that are just, you know, so so mild mannered off the pitch, completely different character. But when you step onto the pitch, that you, you, I think most players will say the same thing because there's that there's that intensity, there's the you know the, the willingness to to try and win, and sometimes you come off the pitch and. You'll you'll rewatch games and you'll think to yourself, "What were you thinking in that scenario?" Almost in like embarrassment, but that's you, you, that's that's just how it is, you know. And I think that would be probably said the same for most sports people that you have to yep. be you have to be two different characters, and that's you know that's the competitive that's the competitive side. Um, but yeah, one one hundred percent. And when I did finish playing and I started getting into doing the broadcasting the amount of people I would work with, they would come up to me and go, oh, you're a nice person. I'm like, well, what are you basing it on that I'm not a nice person? He said, oh, well, some of the challenges and the tackles you used to do when you were, when you were playing and things like that. I was like, well, that's, that's sport. That's just yeah. how it is. And I think you do have to have two different sides to your two different characteristics.
0: Did you ever have someone come up and go, I remember you, Danny. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's time for your comeuppance. <laughs> yeah,
1: but but some some people would come up to me and and they would say to me, they went, oh, you you know, you were you were a really dirty player and your you tackles and things like that. And my, I would go back to them and say, well, I played professional football for, let me think, probably 17 years, 16, 17 years. And I'd say to them, how many red cards do you think I got? Oh, you must have had five or six. And I'd turn around and gone, zero. Zero. Red cards? Yeah. So, and I only ever got suspended once for yellow cards as well. So... You know that—that's my sort of answer back. I guess. Well,
0: and Danny, I—I I, I say this with the highest praise, and you were a, a beautiful player. And when I see that intensity and these, one of the things that I don't see as much is these full-blooded tackles where people commit themselves, go to ground, get the ball, and you did that uh, as good as anybody. And it was—and just from from my perspective, when people here in the United States and the Premier League has become very popular, and you you work with. Uh, with that great crew and mm. that know-how. I, I just re, reiterate, and I've said this, but guys like Warren Barton, yourself, and Robbie Mostow, Robbie Earl, these are guys that were at the top of the game, You know, some of the best players in the league then, that are now here in our market, and we get to hear that expertise, and I think that is incredibly valuable because things have changed so much with the Premier League because it was not heavily viewed back then, so people may not know. When they see you or Robbie Musto, they go, wait a minute, this guy... I, I cannot read. Musto's another one. Yeah. Musto's another one who, when he played, he just it was a, it's a different guy. to see that, but it's like as you said, it's something you need to have in your in your toolkit to be effective in what is arguably the, the biggest and best league in the world.
1: Yeah, I, I, there's there's no there's no doubt about it. And when you look at when you look at the top plays, and when when you used to play against the top plays, there was there was an arrogance about them. But the arrogance, I mean that in the in the nicest possible way. Not an arrogance of yeah, exactly. And that's that's the top players, the real top players. You look at the message, you look at the Ronaldos, obviously still playing, then you go back to other players. And they had this arrogance about them, but that's they had to have that. That's what made them the the players that they were. And I think my my biggest thing for for being fortunate enough to play in the Premier League for so long was the players that you would play against. You know, from the likes of Henri, from Burkamp, from Van Nistelrooy, Andy Cole, Dwight York, and then as time moved on, the likes of Wayne Rooney, Tevez. There's just Torres. There was just Drogba. It was just incredible for, for you to be able to, to be on the field against these world-class players and to to always be testing yourself against them. And it's just over the years, I considered, I considered myself very fortunate to be in a position where I would play against... You know, plays of that caliber week after week, and it was it was brilliant for me. And you know, people say, do you look back on your career? Not not really, because people think that people think that it that it's strange that I don't. I'll use it as in terms of examples when I'm now working. But the biggest thing for me is, you know, you, you've got to be looking forward. It's nice that you've you that, you know you've had that in in the past. But I always believe that if you're not looking forward, then you know you can get stuck looking back. I guess.
0: Very wise words, my friend. Very, And that's, mm. I, I, I think I, I love having these conversations because you, you get to hear it from folks who went through that. And to be at that level and to see w- what you've been able to do to maintain that and how you do it post-career, uh, very interesting. Uh, well, let's talk some shop then. Mm. And, hey, you know, I, I would want to say, because you you started with Manchester United. You're from Manchester, correct? Yes. Yes. Um, I figured that'd probably be a good launching point. As I want, we want to talk about some of the American connections uh, here with the Premier League. But Manchester United, uh, a result this weekend that was—I mean, we know things were bad, but that was—it was—it it was hard to even process what you were watching. And you know, hats off to Brighton. And we'd see Manchester United hit some bad spots, but this was seeming. Was it rock bottom?
1: No, I, I think it's. You know, I think it, it, it is going to get worse before it wow. gets better. I, I do believe that. You know, I I think one of the things is, is that there's a large majority of Manchester United fans, other than obviously the last few years, that have only known success. And, you know, we saw what happened with, with Liverpool, the, the late 70s, early 80s, with the boot room, everybody that they had there, and then how they were starved of success for such a long time. But now we've seen what they're doing. But... I think there's, you know, people say, what is the problem? Is it on the field? Is it off the field? It's it's everything combined. I think when you look at Liverpool and when you look at Manchester City at the moment as two clubs, they are miles ahead of Manchester United. And I'm talking about off the pitch as well. You know, you look at director of football, both, both of those clubs have had one for the last 10, 11 years. Manchester United, I think, got their first director of football last year. They've had chopping and changing of managers. They don't really have an identity. And that's because I feel that, they lost their identity when when Sir Alex Ferguson left. And they've had so many different managers with different ideas, different thoughts. And you find yourself now in a position where you've got a manager at the club, which is obviously, you know, a caretaker manager, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. You have a new manager coming in in the summer, but there's a collection of players from so many different managers. And the reason I say is that it could potentially get worse before it gets better is because I think Ten Hag, when he comes in, he has to be given the ability to get rid of the plays he wants to get rid of and to bring players that, that he wants to bring in. But he needs to be given that time to, to try and have that success. And it just feels like over the years, people talk about managers being interviewed for the job at Manchester United. If you're a manager at the moment and you hope that Ten Hag did it, you'd be wanting to interview the club. It's as though, you know, when, when Klopp went to Liverpool and, and Pep Guardiola went to Manchester City, I can imagine the powers that be probably turned around to them and said, you're coming to our club. What is it that you need? What are the tools that you need to be successful at this club? You know, how do we get Liverpool and Manchester City to the top to where they want to be? And that, I feel, would have been the question that was asked to, to Guardiola and to Klopp before they took the job. Mm. Whereas I feel that Manchester United, the managers that they've had, it's as though managers have been brought in and they've been told, if you're going to manage Manchester United, this is what you have to do. Oh, so it interesting. just seems, yeah, it just seems as though there's been a bit of a, an arrogance about the club which is based on you know a long time ago now and you know they they have to realize and understand and appreciate where they are I think they've signed good players but there's been no method behind the signing of players you know Di Maria gets uh, man of the match in the Champions League final he comes to Manchester United and he's played in, in, in a completely different position and, you know, he's he's one, and there's other players as well, you know, that that have come to the club. Mkhitaryan was another one, came to the club and it's as though the club just buys these players because they're good, but then has no idea how to use them. So I just think there needs to be, be a period now where supporters and everybody has to accept that things aren't great at the moment, but it could actually get worse before it gets better because there's a lot of sorting out to be done.
0: I think people, it's worth reminding how dominant Manchester United sure. was. And that's that's when I started watching you and I, I watched that and it was like, you know, eight championships in 11 years, success in Europe, uh, a squad that everyone knew who was playing everywhere. I mean, it was a, it was a rock star at every position and it, in due part because of the success that they shared. And it, I don't know if you're going to see anything like that. I mean, we've seen this dominant run with Liverpool and mm-hmm. more so with Manchester City, but that Manchester United era was something that... At the time, you 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 almost thought it was commonplace. I don't know if you're going to see something like that, but that was a, a remarkable run. And I could see that point about a victim of their success. Go, hey, this is Manchester United, and I, I think all your points are spot on. And the players, even like a guy like Jadon Sancho, they bring in and how do they use him? And it's a, it's not the same. It's not the same process that or the same trajectory as he may have been in Germany. I see some of these younger players. Not hitting their spots, which is really frustrating mm-hmm. because you see these other guys blossoming. Marcus Rashford comes to mind. Uh, there, it is there's so many flaws with this, and you, as reluctant as you would like to say, hit the reset button, whatever that looks like. It is, uh, and that seems like, you know, if Dan Headhong says, and we've heard Ralph Ragnick say it, he says we're six years behind Liverpool. We need seven, eight new players. Mm-hmm. I'm like eight or whatever the number is. It's it's something that is fans aren't going to hear it because they've been so patient. I would, yeah. well, they have been really patient, but they have waited to kind of get Manchester United where they really should be. And the premier league is so much better when Manchester United is, is in those spots. But uh, it's interesting to see about that conversation. of 10 hog says, I need 70 players, we're going to, we're going to, we're going <laughs> to slip to mid table here. Cause we're going to, we're going to work things out and, how that ownership and how does that the, the top brass of Manchester United? Do you think they'll be able to adapt and say, "All right, it's time," because they haven't done it prior?
1: Yeah, there, there has to be there has to be an acceptance, I think, because I think too many times has been you know there's been the look for it, for a quick fix. You know, you had Sir Alex Ferguson, obviously, you know, a legendary manager, one of the greatest managers that you know the world has, has ever has ever seen. Then you have David Moyes; he's not there long. Then you have Van Gaal, he's not really there that long. Then you have Mourinho, he's not really there that long. And then you have Solskjaer, who's not really there that long either. So at some point, you have to say that, and there's an unbelievable mix of of managers there. Different managers, ones that have had success, whether it be international or, or domestic level. So at some point, you have to look at it and go, well, it can't be the manager. It can't be the manager. And if you were to, to make Klopp or Guardiola manager of this Manchester United club at the mo- football club at the moment, they would struggle. They wouldn't be able to do what, they, what they've done at Liverpool and Manchester City because they don't have the tools. Now, I go back to, to when I was there. I was there from about the age of 11 till, till I was 21. And I only played maybe six, seven games. But for me, training with the first team on a, on a weekly basis for, for, for a couple of years was incredible. And you would sit down, and you would—you were—you were a young kid amongst some real superstars there. You know, you had the likes of Ryan Giggs, you had Roy Keane, you had Paul Scholes, you had Dwight York, Andy Cole, Yap Stam. You know, the list—the list was endless. The players, the plays that they had, obviously David Beckham as well. And as as a young player, you want to be a sponge. You just want to sit around and listen to these—you know—the professionals, the senior professionals, and you listen to their conversations. And some of the conversations were training was actually more difficult than the games at the weekend wow because the intensity of the training with the
0: conversations there. between the players
1: yeah 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 and like and and then you would you would you would create friendships especially with some of the players that that had come through before you don't get me wrong they went to have, they went on to have glittering careers at manchester united but they'd followed the same footpath as in terms of coming through the the center of excellence coming through the the apprenticeship side of things and then and then becoming professionals so they you you could have the conversations with them and things like that because they'd been in the position that, that you were in. And you know, you would be in training, there would be arguments, there'd be falling outs every day. And that wasn't because the players didn't like each other. It was because they demanded so much from each other. And and I remember on on the occasions when I played, it was like every time you got the ball, you were spoiled for choice. Everybody wanted the ball. So you go back to something that you just mentioned about younger players coming through at Manchester United and, you know, the effect, the effect that it's having on some of the younger players at the moment. It's impossible for younger players to come through at Manchester United at the moment. And that's not because they don't have players that are good enough. But when you look at... So you take the class of 92, for example. That will never happen again. But when they came into the team, they had experienced professionals that were at the top of their game so they could actually help the younger players as well. You know, I, I remember myself... I made my debut and I think Yap Stam was playing, Roy Keane. um, I think Phil Neville was playing. Then, you you know, you had these senior players that were playing and they were that confident and comfortable with the form that they were in. They could actually look after you as well. And the problem that you have at Manchester United now, whether you want to play younger players or give younger players an opportunity, it's like people say, oh, just, just put them on the pitch, give them 15, 20 minutes. That 15, 20 minutes can can ruin a young player's career before it's even begun. And that's why it's so important that the team is in the right place before you actually do that. You need need senior players on the pitch that are comfortable and playing well enough that they can look after their own game as well as help a younger player through, where I think at United at the moment, there are so many of the senior players that, are just trying to cope and just trying to get through themselves and try and get themselves in some type of form. So it's very difficult then for any younger players to come into the team and actually be helped from the senior players. So that's where that stands, I think, with the younger players because Manchester United has always been known from that. You know, you go all the way back to the Busby Babes and, you know, obviously the what happened in 1958 with the Munich Air disaster. You know, it, 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 it was obviously built before then, the great Samat Busby as well. But then as time's gone by, they've been known for bringing these young players through. But it's very difficult to do that when you haven't got senior players that are actually playing at their peak as well because the younger players do need help.
0: And it's some of those senior players, I mean, obviously like a Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes, it's just been such an uh, an ugly um, situation where the fans, some horrible things that were said about not being able, good enough to play for Manchester United. How, How quickly it's gone sour and I don't know how many of those guys under a new manager are going to be um, salvageable in that sense, because look, it's, there's a, there's a dollars and cents to this, where they have this roster, they've built from past regimes, uh, but it, it Manchester United will I would imagine open up the, the bank account to get the players, but it seems like from what you're saying, a 10 hog would have to get those veteran players that he has to believe in some that are on the squad. Yeah he will find some that he could trust in. He's been incredible with defining young players as well, but mm. that seems like you have a lot of good young players that you would have to sort of put under your under your wing here for the for the time being and 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 work on those to see if you can get those guys back. Uh it's it's just it's a it's going to be a fascinating offseason because I don't know how how big or how little the changes I would imagine it's going to be significant but at who who stays? Who who remains and kind of gets um, gets viewed as uh, uh, some sort of project to get them back on their feet, so to speak. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that, but it, it seems like it has to be pretty wholesale changes.
1: Yeah, it, it does, and I think the difficult thing is if you go back to when Manchester United were having their success, if they wanted a player, they'd get a player because they were the top dog. You know, they they were the top team, so. First of all, you'll have numerous amounts of people saying, well, you know what, two transfer windows, and they could be challenging You know the likes of Liverpool, Manchester City, and a little bit further back Chelsea. Now, so what are you you saying? And does that mean that Liverpool and Manchester City and Chelsea aren't going to sign any plays in the next two windows? They're just going to stand still. That's not going to be the case. So it's okay saying the next two windows will be pivotal for Manchester United, and I think secondary as well. And Manchester United used to find themselves in this position as in terms of you know, the the reverse side of things. If if Manchester United sign a player, the likelihood is, is because Manchester City or Liverpool don't want them. And that's how it used to be for Manchester United. The, the teams below them would sign good players, but they wouldn't be good enough to play for Manchester United as Manchester United would have signed them. And that's the pecking order where, where United are now. So this is another thing that has to be taken into account as well. And I don't think it's not a quick fix. It's not something that's going to turn around overnight, but there has to now, at some point, you've got to say, right, we've got to go, we've got to go through this transitional period because they've had so many transitional, I won't even say transitional periods. They've gone, they've gone halfway through transition and they've gone, no, right, we've got to scrap it. And you start again. And then all you end up with is a collection of players who were brought in for different managers that play different styles, but don't actually suit the manager that is now manager of the club. So that's why the manager that's coming in now, he has to have, he has to have full control of, his, as in terms of the players that are brought in, the coaching staff that are brought in, because every everybody has to be, you know, going in the same direction. I remember being there as a kid, and you know, I had Eric Harrison, you know, may he rest in peace. Now he was he was a major factor behind the class of '92 progressing. You had Jim Ryan, who was a reserve team manager. You had Paul McGuinness there. You had Tony and You had Neil Bailey. You had all these, all these whether it be academy, academy coaches or reserve coaches, and they all saw the game in the same way that Sir Alex Ferguson saw the game. So they knew when a player was ready to go and train with the first team because their thoughts and their process was exactly the same as Sir Alex Ferguson. Now that's how it has to be if you're going to have success. Whereas at Manchester United, because there's so many different coaches that have been brought in from different managers and all the way all the way down, you know, it, they, the likelihood it is is that they're going to be producing players for one manager when that manager doesn't want it, and a coach sees something differently. So they have to get everything back in a line again. That's that's the start of it, and then they can move forward.
0: So glad uh, I was able to talk to you this week about this, Danny, because it is fascinating. And mm. you you talk of these managers, and these are the. the creme de la creme David Moyes is, has proven that he is an elite manager with what he's been able to do at West Ham uh Louis Van Gaal and Jose Mourinho these are the biggest names in the business and it wasn't able to work for the variety of reasons you pointed out and now it's 10 Hag, and it's uh it has to be different it has to be yeah. different and I hope he gets the time and you know maybe Manchester maybe he he, he does a magic trick What well, kind of like what Xavi did at Barcelona, because Barcelona was a club that should be, I've always said, should have paid a heavy price for their their bad finances, mm-hmm. but right now they're not. They're you know, in second place. They made a nice run in Europe, and things seem like they're going to be on the up and up. We'll see. I think that's wishful thinking for Manchester United, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch it, and it's still such a compelling story, regardless of what they are. I want to see a good Manchester. It's, I'm not a United fan, but... When United's there and you see the jerseys. I always turn on to watch their games. I watch their games most weeks because it's United. It's the train wreck effect here, which also is, a, is compelling as a, as a neutral, but uh, it's uh, I look forward to seeing that team and back to where they really truly belong. Um, as one of the elite, if the, not the elite, name in, in world football. Uh, I, I'm later on in the podcast, I'm going to talk about Jesse Marsh, yeah, and uh, and I want to get your thoughts on him and about the job that's that lies ahead, three games to go. Uh, the relegation picture, Everton, Burnley, and Leeds United. I I, I kind of feel Everton, have, and it shouldn't shouldn't be so presumptuous, they're one point ahead, but they have a game in hand. I figure that they have a favorable schedule. They'll probably get through, and I, I see Brighton and Leeds going to compete for this. As an American, this is such a huge stretch. I, I encourage all American fans to really lock in here, because if Jesse Marsh can keep Leeds up, and he can get some tenure in the Premier League. This is huge for, um, and you certainly correct me if I'm wrong, but this is huge for the U.S. management game because you have an example, and that yeah. if it happens for another American coach, it won't be as difficult. You have a Leeds United coach who's going to be in the Premier League, who has a system within the United States, which could mean American players end up with Leeds. We've heard Brendan Aronson is a possibility. I think Georgie Mihalovich has been another. These are maybe just rumors. Mm. I know the Brendan Aaronson one's a little more firm, but that will facilitate that. And, you know, maybe he brings in American coaches to to to, to work under him. So it's just huge if he could stay up as opposed. He, he's got a long-term ca- contract. He would go down to the championship, but obviously showing that he can do the job. He's done well. The problem is Burnley and Everton have gotten hot. as uh, Also, I look at the schedule and the problem is, is the goal differential because I think Burnley, they have two away games, one's at Spurs, one's at Villa. Uh, They'll be hard to get uh, many points here, but Mm -hmm. whatever they get, Leeds need one extra point. So uh, I just, regardless of what happens, I've been very proud of what the job he's done. It's great to see how the Leeds United fans have endeared himself. But at the end of the day, it has to, the difference in staying up and down is going to determine how he's viewed and perhaps... American coaching is viewed.
1: I hope, I hope not, because you know I think one of the things that one of the things that was always going to be difficult is is following Marce, uh, Marcelo Bielsa. You know, Leeds Leeds fans absolutely adore him, and and rightly so. You know, and rightfully
0: so. He's fantastic.
1: Yeah, he, he, I was covering them in the championship when I, when I was um, when I was still living in England, and I was very very fortunate to be able to watch his teams and how they progressed and how quickly he got his message across. And obviously they came up to the Premier League and had an unbelievable year last year, conceded a lot of goals, but scored a lot of goals as well. And this year, what's been really difficult is that he he carried on with this man for man all over the pitch, which we know is Bielsa's way. But eventually a system will always be worked out. And unless you go to plan B and Bielsa's plan was, was always to say plan A was to do plan, sorry, plan B was to do plan A better. And unfortunately that ended up going against them. They had huge injuries. Bamford, obviously the focal point. Cooper's been injured. Dallas now has got what looks like a real serious injury. And Ailing got sent off at the weekend as well. Now they are, they are key players for sure as well. Phillips has just come back. These are key players that, you know, that they are what Leeds United stand for. And I spoke with Jesse Marsh probably um, about a week ago before I was doing a show on NBC. And, I asked him, you know, I, I said to him, I said, how, how difficult has it been to adjust away from the man for man marking all over the pitch in open play? And he said, well, you know, one of the main reasons I was brought to the club is that I don't play the same, I don't play exactly the same style as Bielsa, but some of the attributes are very much so, as in terms of the, the pressing, the energy that the team shows. Um, and he said, we played away at Watford. We got beat three, uh, sorry, we won 3 0. And when I was on the coach on the way home, you know, I, he, he said to me, he said, I, I re watched the game and I found myself getting more and more frustrated, more and more frustrated as the game was going on, even though we won 3 0, because there were certain parts of the game where the players hadn't taken on board what I wanted from them. Um, and then when they got back to Leeds, he was going to get back in his car and he found himself frustrated. He got in the wrong side of his car. And he said, <laughs> for me, it was a huge thing that shows that, you know, all, da- all habits die hard. So that was that's something that you know will take time. But he said the players have been so good. He said they've been absolutely magnificent. And you know they went down to ten men against against Arsenal. But you saw the you saw the desire that that yes. team has. They are behind this manager, and you know they've bought straight into him. We know how things have been previously in England with with American coaches. Uh, when they've gone over straight away, it's like the terms that they use will be held against them. As we've seen, when people say soccer and things like that, which I don't agree with, and it's great for me because having lived in England and now moving over here, you can see it from both sides. And I, for one, hope that they do stay up. It's going to be difficult. Obviously, you know, we mentioned that Ailing's now suspended,
0: uh, and Dallas- that's it's for the rest of this season, right? Is that it's it's a heavy. Oh, Dallas. Uh,
1: Ailing. Let me think. Ailing. Yeah, if it's a it, straight yeah straight red, so we'll miss the next three games, which is likely a, to be yeah. It's a heavy
0: price to pay, but it is yeah, what it is.
1: Yeah, if it is the three games, and obviously you know they they've got Chelsea at home, Brighton at home, and then Brentford away. So they've still they've still got a chance. And one of the things that I would always say about the Premier League is that there's always a twist or a turn, whether it be at the top or whether it be at the bottom. And this is arguably
0: it's going to come to the end too. You know uh, that it, it, get ready for it.
1: So much of it is going to go down to the final day. You know, you look, at, you look at Manchester City, Liverpool, probably going to go down to the final day. You look at the race for the top four, Arsenal Spurs could well go down to the final day. And then you're looking at Everton, Burnley or Leeds to go and join Watford or Norwich is going to go down to the final day. So there's so much, there's so much riding on it at the moment. But as you quite rightly said, you know, Everton had a, had a huge result against Leicester. It's their first away win since the 28th of August. You know, So it, it was massive I mean. for them. It, it, yeah, it, it, it was huge for them. But there's an argument to make a case for, for all three of those teams to stay up. And it's just going to be fascinating. Now it's not so much about the quality of the play. Now it all comes down to the mentality because I've been in that position myself too many times when you're at the bottom of the league and it's like, it's it's it is the mental side of it it's how you address it you have to embrace it you have to have a certain mentality when you're down at the bottom and you know you either you either sink or you swim and that's what will happen between those three clubs in the next what everton's got four games left and burning Leeds have got three games left so it's going to go down to the wire for that i am sure
0: there's a lot that i like about what leads the run in obviously having two home games the one that is i don't know i don't think anybody wants to a- to play Brighton right now. I mean, because yeah. We talked about Manchester United, but you got to give Brighton credit. They completely undressed them and they have Graham Potter. They're filling the stadium and even some of their players that they've developed are hitting their marks. It's, a, it's an incredible story. But I, to your point about uh, the Arsenal game, you know, you're down two, huge goalkeeping blunder. You're down two after 10 minutes. You get the red card. Jesse Marsh makes uh, an adjustment uh, off the bench. Keeps his team in touch, and they even had this chance at the 93rd minute to tie it, which that was you know in ten minutes. You're probably mm-hmm. saying leads are going to get hammered here. Yeah, there's going to be five goals. So criticism for Jesse Marsch after that. There was criticism for Manchester City, and I watched that game, and I they were in it, and then Man City's Man City and pulled away. Yeah. So there's not a game where you look that where he lost the team, or they quit, or they did anything like that. They've been engaged, and. I, I think uh, you always figured you'd be fortunate to get anything out of Man City and Arsenal away. Yes. They didn't get any, but now you have these games where you could. So I, I, I I've, I'm, I feel like he can do it. I'm saying I will say he will do it. I don't mm. want to put too much pressure on him. <laughs> I say he will do it. Um, part of it is, and all due respect to Burnley, but maybe they'll be hard to find points. Maybe coupled with those two, we'll, we'll see. But again, what a, what a fun ride this is going to be for American fans. I'm looking forward to it. I know it's going to be nerve wracking. I know, I know Jesse, he's a first class when I've, when I got to work with him here in MLS and uh, very easy to pull for. And I can only imagine the journey that he's taken to get there. And uh, it just uh, is a reminder of the commitment to, to this kind of life, which he has handled as good as anyone.
1: Yeah. One, 100%, you know, and, and he fully deserves this, this opportunity. And, you know, like I say, when when I spoke to him as well, he was great. He was open. He was honest. He he, he said how much he'd embraced and he and he loves the area as well. He loves Leeds. Loves Yorkshire. You know, so that's that that just goes to show you know the way that, that that he embraces and not just that. You look at the previous clubs that he's been at as well. How he you know embraces the language, you know, and obviously that's not not something that he has to concern himself about <laughs> with about within England apart from the accents. You know, so that that says a lot yeah. about not just him as a manager but as a man. Um, but you go down to the final, the final day of the season, and we all know the fixtures all kick off at the same time. It,
0: oh, you're going to have, have to have two extra sets of eyeballs if you're working. Oh, there.
1: I'm, I'm not, I'm not working that day, but I'm just going to be, <laughs> it's like you say, because there's going to be so many games that have got something riding on them. And, you know, it's being part of that, sorry, being, being somebody that can now watch it as a, as a neutral, rather than actually playing on that day, it's a lot easier. Because I remember when we were at Southampton, um, we got relegated on the last day of day of the season. Half time, we were safe. We were we were safe, not safe, probably about six times during the afternoon. And then we ended up finishing bottom of the league. We got beat at home by Manchester United. And then at the end of the game, I was walking into into the dressing room, and I was the last one in. You know, it was it, it it's really tough when you get relegated because it's tough for you as a player but it's the fact that so many people that love the club and do so much good work behind the scenes they end up losing the jobs and that's that was the biggest thing that, that oh. always hit me yeah and I remember walking towards the dressing room and I was the last one and Sir alex Ferguson waited outside our dressing room and he apologized to me I was like I was like what you? you know I, I I was not even a I was not even a first team player I played a five or six games for Manchester United. But that was just the measure of the man. You know, he waited for me outside the, outside the dressing room and he just apologised. said, I'm sorry, you know, it's obviously, it's unfortunate for you. And I was just like, please, you, you don't have to, to apologise to me. And, but that was just the measure of the man. But yeah, the, the final day, there'll be so many twists and turns. And it's, it's always interesting. Always keep your eye in the final day in the Premier League. When you're watching the games, listen to the roars in the crowd when there's not been a goal scored because they've heard something from some, some other stadium in the country because they've got the radio on. But the amount of times that it's fake, the amount of times it's like there was, there was one game now, who was it now? And it was a few years ago and it was a Premier League game. Was that the final and match day? It was a was- final match day and the crowd. I, I remember it oh boy. You'll have to, someone will have to look this up. But
0: there, there's a point and, there, and someone you a, got homeworks
1: to do here. Yeah, there's a cheer from the crowd. And the players on the pitch, you can you can tell that they've taken it on board. And they keep the ball in the corner. But it was fake. It, the, the cheer was wrong. And they needed to score, but they didn't. And they ended up getting relegated or something along Oh no! Yeah. But that's what you find on the final day. You'll be watching the TV. And all of a sudden, like, there's nothing going on in the game. And all of a sudden, the roof just raises because one of the relegation rivals or one of the top four rivals or whatever it may be has just conceded a goal. And it's fascinating, but I don't know. I, I've just got in the back of my, I can't remember whether it was uh, for a team trying to go for the top four or it was a team near the relegation. Charlton's sticking in my mind for some reason. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't Charlton,
0: Charlton, what I've always been told, if you go to London and you want to get tickets to a game – you don't always have a room in Charlton. They'll have what a great, stadium. It's a great, I remember awesome. when they were in the premier league yeah, and they haven't come stadium. back up, but I certainly yeah. would like to see that. Yeah. By the way, that's a wonderful story. And, and I think people forget it. Cause we always mention how staying in the premier league, gets says price tag of hundred million, $150 million. And you realize when the team gets dropped, that that money's gone, that it completely change, shifts this club. Yeah, And people lose a job and guys have to go to find work elsewhere and play elsewhere. It is just a, it's a wrecking ball. Uh, yeah. And you've got to, you know, many clubs are able to do it to bounce back, but I mean, to put the burden, the players obviously have to feel that because they know it's not, everything's going to change.
1: Yeah, so. it, it, it does. And, and unfortunately I got relegated twice, once with Derby from the Premier League and once with Southampton and both times, you know, there's there's lifelong supporters of the club that are working for the club and they feel they feel so privileged to work for the club. It's not about what oh. they get paid to work for the club and then they get made redundant. And mm. that that for me is the that for me was, was was the most upsetting and frustrating and disappointing for me because it wasn't their fault. It wasn't their fault that the team got relegated, but but they were they were the ones that ended up um unfortunately paying the price. Um but that is that's that's what football unfortunately that's that's how it can be and that's sometimes a side that that people don't see
0: it's fantastic to talk with you uh about this danny and uh to to, to, to take us there um is i know people will really appreciate hearing that hmm. I, I i have a bunch of things i want to talk to you about. i'll have one more one more topic we can we can okay. discuss here briefly christian pulisic uh and chelsea you know from the american perspective it's something we talk a lot about here on this podcast how uh, it hasn't really, it hasn't been a great fit for Chelsea. For you know where he hasn't played in the right position, where there's stretches where he doesn't play a lot. Uh, his father came out with an ill-timed tweet, which was erased, yeah. which really complicates things because Thomas Tuchel then says, "I have a great relationship with Christian, and he's a he's a good trooper." You know, he goes yeah. in and he plays. Clearly, he doesn't look like a guy who complains. It goes, "Why am I not playing?" And uh, it's a great club. He got to he won a Champions League. He he has some incredible memories but is it the right club in the for him moving forward i don't i don't think so uh he seems like he's down the pecking order it would be this is a guy who i think wants to i think play more as a 10 where he can really grow into that position where i think he has a higher ceiling uh, but where would that be and how does chelsea sell a guy that's probably not valued for what he was bought? uh i would love for it to end well at chelsea uh, I don't know what the whole Abramovich, the new ownership is going to affect. It's an American ownership group, which you would think would help Christian Pulisic. Where do you see his trajectory? Where, 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 did, where did he do well? Where did he didn't go well? And are there the limitations on him that I know here in the United States that we put on his shoulders that may be excessive? How have you seen his, his season?
1: He's, he's not had, he's not had a defined role. You know, and and I think that's been that's been difficult. But I think there's also been a been a problem for for Chelsea as well because, I look at Chelsea and one of the one of the things that that made made them obviously you know one of the favourites at the start of the season was was this system that Thomas Tuchel was playing. Obviously they brought Carco in and you're thinking okay, well he's the icing on the cake. He's going to be the one that gets the goals that is going to be challenging the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City. But then what happened was, and I think this had a real effect on a lot of the players, including Pulisic as well, is that your first-choice wing backs got injured. So you're missing Reece James, one of the best fullbacks, wing backs in world football. Yep, agreed. Ben Chilwell, ben Chilwell, who you know everybody knows the quality he has, but it took him a bit to get into this Chelsea team. But then he got into the team and he was flying, and that was the width. That was the width that Chelsea had, and it was the only real width that they needed. Because then what you had was a mixture of Pulisic, Mount, Ziyech, Werner, Havertz, Lukaku, all who would you know either be in the ten position or be stretching the game or dropping into the ten position. So then all of a sudden you take the wing backs out, the team then becomes very narrow. And I think what you found, all all the players that I've mentioned. So I talk about Mason Mount, you talk about um, Ziyech, you talk about Pulisic, you talk about Timo Werner, you talk about hudson Doy. all these players that play similar positions would get in each other's way. Yeah. Now, you can, have, you can have world-class players, and some of the players I've just mentioned are world-class players, but sometimes they may not complement each other. And if they don't complement each other, then they end up getting in each other's way. And they end up becoming easier to mark. And I think that's been one of Chelsea's biggest problems is because, because for a large majority of the season, they haven't had these attack-minded wing-backs. The defence only really has to has had to concern themselves with the number 10 or the two number 10s and one centre-forward or one number 10 and two centre-forward. So it's been made difficult for Chelsea's attacking intent because opposition teams have said, OK, well, we can defend narrow and we know that we can deal with you without that threat of Reese James, without the threat of Ben Chilwell. Or... When both of them aren't playing, you know, if one of them's playing okay, he can give a little bit more of a threat, but you're not going to give as much a threat because you can you can prioritize him because the opposite wing back probably isn't going to be as, as as attack minded, and I think that that has affected the likes of Pulisic, and we've seen Pulisic he's even played wing back before. Yep, you know, so like like anything, I think players need to have a consistent. They need to have first of all they need to have a consistent run of games, but they need to have a consistent run of games in a specific position. Now, the problem that you have as well is that all these plays that I've mentioned, it's a team, when you look at the attacking side of it, there's a lot of number 10s. Now, some number 10s can complement each other, but then some number 10s can get in each other's way. And I just feel as though Pulisic, in my mind, he is at his best when he drifts into the number 10, not starts in the number 10. I think if he's a little bit wider on the left-hand side and he picks the ball up, you wouldn't want to face him one-on-one.
0: But that's, been, I think it's a good shout.
1: Yeah, but there's been too many times because of the way that Chelsea have played and because there's been a real lack of width that he's actually been picking the ball up, facing his own goal. And with all the goodwill in the world, if you're a defender and you're playing against Pulisic, that's half your job done. Half your job is done because by... He's
0: got sure. he's in a static position. He's facing goal. Yeah. you got him.
1: He, yeah. he's, he's got to turn. If he turns, then you're in trouble. But like I say, but because... Chelsea haven't had the beauty of these consistent wingbacks week in, week out. Teams have been able to be narrow. They've been able to be compact. So if then Pulisic gets the ball, defenders are saying, right, okay, because we know that the wingbacks aren't going to be stretching the game, we're going to go all the way in with you. And then it's very difficult for someone like Pulisic to turn. Whereas ordinarily he'd probably be drifting out a little bit wider, but fullbacks can take care of him now because they haven't got to worry so much about an attack minded wingback. So sometimes it's not, Sometimes it's not just about the individual players' quality. It's about the dynamics and the circumstances that occur within the team as well in order to bring the best out of you or to not get the best out of you. So it will be interesting to to see what happens with him with him in the summer because does he stay at Chelsea? Does he move on? If if the time comes where he is moving on, then I don't think there'll be a shortage of suitors. I think there'll be plenty of clubs that will want him. But, you know, I hope he does stay at Chelsea and, and get things going and get things going right.
0: Me too. And I hope that it yeah. it... it, it, it he's still a young player and he falls into that yeah. and, and great to hear from a defender's perspective about mm-hmm. how he needs to do it. So uh, we appreciate the intel. I appreciate you, Danny. <laughs> Absolutely. A wonderful conversation. This is why I started the podcast so I could have these moments and, and have a good a chinwag with someone like yourself. So I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us here at The Business End. Danny Higginbotham, you can catch him on NBC. And if you're lucky enough to live in Philadelphia, you get to hear him and JP Delacamera calling the Philadelphia Union, who will be an MLS Cup, and I'll owe them a dinner when they face LAFC, <laughs> probably out West. So we shall see one step at a time. Stoppage time is next. This is the Soccer OG. Time now for a stoppage time. And before I go any further, I want to wish everyone a happy Mother's Day. It was on Sunday. It's my favorite holiday. I think it is. Because uh, it becomes a wonderful family day. And Father's Day should be just leave your father alone so so he can sit on the couch and do whatever he wants to do for a few hours. I think that's fair. Valentine's Day should be abolished. It's an abomination. Um, all these burrito days. and like get, get. These are all money makers, you know. So Mother's Day, you know, I don't do a lot. I, I go to the L.A. Flower Mart, which is a fascinating place, buy a bunch of flowers. My mother-in-law lives with us, too. Put them out there. Get a nice car. A little small gift. Something small. But it's not... But then this is the selfish part that I do. I, I go to a, a really... We don't do too much fine dining. I mean, fine dining. You're going to be looking at that bill for like 10 minutes afterwards going, Jesus Christ. But, you know, Mon- Mother's Day is the day I do it. Went to the water grill in Santa Monica. Got that big tower of seafood. It had it had the lobster tail and the shrimp and the oysters and the periwinkles. yes. And it had sea urchin, which was unbelievable. He dipped it in soy sauce. So it was great to spend it with my, my wife, my son, the dog, mother-in-law. And we're just sitting there on a nice day, went to the beach, had a great meal, and came home. I, I feel so satisfied. So I wish we should do Mother's Day more often. But the key, look, you treat yourself well. You get the nice meal. You know, the the trick when you get a nice meal you, if you're in a restaurant, you always order something great. You always order the best thing because you're going to end up spending a lot of money, so you might as well have a nice meal out of it. I know we can't all do that. Once in a while, trust me, I'm pretty. I, I keep it tight to the belt, but once in a while, you treat yourself. Let's get quickly into, and I'm going to talk more about this on the Soccer OG on my YouTube show. Leeds losing to Arsenal. Arsenal have been red hot. Leeds also lost to Manchester City prior. The uh, scoreline very deceptive there because I was watching that. Dude, I, I got up at what, 6 a.m., 5 a.m. to watch Arsenal Leeds. But I'm like, I'm on the West Coast. I can't watch those morning games, but I watched this one. One eye open. <laughs> but um, but the Manchester City game, I thought Leeds were really good for about an hour and then the collapse. But that's Manchester City, and they're fighting for a title. Arsenal, red hot. Um, fighting for that top four spot. Looks like they're going to get it. So we have three games remaining. And as I said last week, Everton, we're going to be safe. They have that game in hand. They won again this weekend. So the final team to be dropped is going to be Burnley, who lost this weekend to Aston Villa. Or it's going to be Leeds United. They're tied at points right now. Three games left. So unfortunately for Leeds is that Jesse Marsh has been saddled with a horrific goal differential. So if they finish level on points, and both these teams could lose all three games or could win one and lose two, they could finish level on points, which means Leeds United have to be one point better than Burnley because they have a minus 35 goal differential. Marcelo Bielsa did some amazing things, but that was not one of them. When he lost, he lost bad. Burnley's minus 17. So three games to go, and... I think Leeds United are going to make it. I have seen enough. Uh, Leeds United, when um, there's a 530, someone on Twitter sent this to me, a 537 algorithm, that Marsh in nine games has overperformed by five points over expectations. That's a lot. That's a lot. So he's now, you know, they were unbeaten in five, and then the losses to City, followed by the loss to Arsenal. They've been close victories. There's no doubt. Last second, Gasp wins. Again, injuries have also been a major concern. And This was a mess on the weekend. Uh, Eddie and Ketia scores in the fifth minute. A horrible mistake by Meslier. I screwed that name up, sorry. And then five minutes later, a goal that they were asleep in. Luke Ayling gets a red card, a terrible challenge. It was all coming undone for Leeds United. But then they buckled in. They got a goal. By the way, no, Liam Cooper hopefully comes back. Uh, Dallas, last name, first name escapes me. And the, the, the injuries are Patrick Bamford as well. Uh, came back and got injured again. I think Ailing's out for the rest of the season with this red card. It's pretty, it's pretty awful. Uh, Mateos Click also had a horrible challenge. He could have been in trouble. So there's a lot of players. It's not a full deck, but Leeds United battled back. They got the goal. And it was 2-1. And they even, Diego Llorente scored in the 66th. In the 93rd minute, they had a great chance to tie it at Arsenal. Leeds fight. So this is how it looks like. I I think it looks bleak for Burnley. They could lose all three games. Burnley got a couple victories when Mike Jackson took over for Sean Dyche. But they now, they lost pretty badly to Villa at home. So now they travel to Spurs, who have tons of stuff to play for. They travel again to Aston Villa, and then they finish at home to Newcastle. I don't think they're going to win the first two. They, they might win the third. So let's say they get three points. So Leeds needs to get one point more. Leeds, home to Chelsea, home to Brighton, who I talked earlier in the program, <laughs> you don't want to face right now, and then travel to Brentford. I think there's four points there. They have to do well in the home games. Chelsea looked brutal this Sunday or Saturday and the last couple games. I've, I think Leeds can get something there. They should be able to win one of those two games. And then Brentford Leeds, possible to get a point. Again, they could get one point because it depends what Burnley does, but I think there's four points for Leeds because I've seen enough from this team and the data and the analytics that Leeds are playing at a level that is better than Burnley with a a schedule that... (sighs) Burnley's is a little easier um, just because the Brighton part, but it should should be interesting. Okay, talk more about that on the... The uh, Soccer OG on YouTube. Seattle Sounders, congratulations to to that club. If there's a club that was going to win the CONCACAF Champions League, it should have been them first. They do it all the right way. With their fan base, they they're remarkable. And I Adrian Hanauer and all the folks that are in charge there. They're good people. I talked to them and um, uh, Garth Lagerway. This is a, a salt of the earth dude. If you ever meet Garth, he'll sit and talk to you. He put this together. Congratulations to them. The players, eh, some of them are okay. (laughs) This is hard as an LAFC employee. So, is that good for the league, as we said? 100%. And I've had conversation after conversation. I went to LAFC, I sit at their performance center a couple days a week, spoke to Steve Gerundolo, spoke to John Thorrington, got on the phone, talked to a bunch of people. And they're all going, of course it is. This is huge for all all clubs here. Because now... Folks in Mexico are gripping, and they're wondering, is this team getting all uppity? And I think Mexican-American fans, if you look at the ratings on ESPN Deportes and Fox Deportes, people are watching more there per capita for a channel that doesn't have much reach. If ESPN Deportes had as many households as ESPN, it'd be a huge number. It's still getting a decent number. So I think Mexican-American kids are watching and go, all right, I might kick the tires on MLS. Maybe I'll have an, a league MX team. Maybe I'll have an MLS. There's so much good that happens. And now we have Seattle Sounders at the end of the year. Well, I, I got to check on that. Uh, it won't be when it usually played because they don't want to cross over the World Cup. But they'll be playing a club World Cup against Real Madrid or possibly Real Madrid or Liverpool. Could happen. It's great. One thing that did come out of it, I just want to... I got into some Twitter war. People don't read on Twitter, apparently. Uh, so, Stefan Fry, we've talked about the goalkeeper situation, and I, uh, I said, he deserves to get called into this national team, but it's not going to happen. It's, it would just be unprecedented if something like that happened. If you look, you have to understand things about national teams. This is what the national team has done. Greg Burhalter has built a team, starts the qualifying. As the qualifying started, he shed the older guys Just because he went with the talented guys are ruined. This was always the design. He was always going to bring those young guys to be the starters, to be the featured players. Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Christian Polisic, Brendan Aronson, Tim Weah. The list goes on and on. Serginho Dest. Uh, There is an issue with goalkeeping, but the World Cup is six months away. Do you bring in a goalkeeper who's not been capped at all, who has not spent a minute with that squad? Greg Berhalter was explicit. He, he made these guys spend time together and qualifying so that they could get, you know, in a groove together. So they could grow together. And now they're going to be the youngest team at the World Cup at the age of 24. So what's not going to happen? And look, this is not. A, I think Stefan Frey deserves it. I'm just saying he's not going to make it because of the way it is. It doesn't, and I was arguing. People go, "You should have experience at goalkeeper." It's not ex- about ex- having experience at goalkeeper. It's about having a guy who can blend in with a squad. And you're asking a guy who does does not spend any time with these guys, and then he's going to start, and he's going to take a leadership role. And these kids that have been there the whole time are going to be, wait a minute, and they have. I guarantee you they have allegiances to Zach Stefan and Matt Turner because they've been there along for the whole ride. So the goalkeeping situation is going to end up being those guys. I said Gaga Slonina might be able to come in. I hope he gets called in at June. I think he will and see if he has something. Maybe Sean Johnson's the wild card who has been with the national team a bit. But a 36-year-old keeper who hasn't been capped, not happening. So, sorry, Seattle. I think I was... Congratulations. You guys did great. And we appreciate it as a league. Stefan Fry is unfortunately one of those guys who's going to slip through the cracks. It stinks that he's never been played one game for the U.S. It stinks but as we said earlier about Miles Robinson, this sport stinks in many ways. It's not fair, but that's the way we have it. This is the Soccer OG. We appreciate all you guys listening in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks all the wonderful notes. Uh, gentlemen. I forgot, he tweets me all the time. He said he was on his bike listening to the podcast. I appreciate that. Wonderful feedback. We'll keep getting great guests. Download, share, subscribe. Do what you got to do. Until next time, Placido Domingo.